0: Welcome in everybody to episode 208 of the podcast of the sweeping America the Aaron Torres sports podcast great show today heavy SEC show because don't know if you paid attention. The SEC was not very good on Wednesday night. We will get into Kentucky losing to Utah in the first game of their back-to-back Las Vegas games. I will obviously be at the game on Saturday against Ohio State. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, Tennessee struggles. LSU loses at home. We'll talk a little bit about Tennessee, but just the SEC as a whole. I mean... who is good in this league? How good are they? I think is a fair question to ask at this point in the season. And there is a good question. There's a good person on the back end to ask that question because joining me on the second half of the show, the only undefeated team in the SEC the only undefeated team in the power five the Auburn Tigers Bruce Pearl makes his debut on the Aaron Torres sports podcast Auburn actually has a big game on Thursday night against NC State, but I thought it was interesting coach Pearl actually talks a lot about not only his team but the SEC as a whole and he admits like everybody else he is not sold on how good the SEC is. So again, a lot of SEC hoops, we're going to talk Kentucky, we'll talk Tennessee, and then we're going to throw it over to Bruce Pearl for an awesome, awesome, awesome show. Before we get into it, I do want to remind everybody please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports podcast. Do it on iTunes. Do it on Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the place to listen. Again, that is where I listen to this show. And yeah, I'm one of those dudes that listens to my own podcast. Uh, also, you can listen on Pod Paradise, TuneIn Radio, Spotify. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can get the Aerotorus Sports Podcast. Great guests coming up in the future, by the way. So make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what you don't like. Tell us what we need to fix. Tell us how awesome we are. And yeah, if uh, if the only thing you have to say is that we're awesome, that's okay too. Like I'll give you an example. Like my boy K. Ramius, who said on the Apple Podcast page, he gave us five stars. He said, "Love it. Love your podcast, AT." I travel a lot for work and can't take off on a flight before downloading several episodes. So thank you, K. Ramius. Thank you for subscribing, for rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. And I encourage everybody to do the same. Of course, also make sure to follow the podcast page on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. And if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com also, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that you can come hang with me on Friday if you're going to be in Vegas for the Ohio State game. So most of you will listen to this show on Thursday. Some of you will listen on Friday if you're in Vegas and the guest list is through the roof right now. But if you're in Vegas on Friday afternoon from 3 to 5 local time before the Ohio State game, I will be hosting a little happy hour, a little get together at Legacy Stadium at the Venetian Hotel. Again, 3 to 5 uh, local time. We will have drink specials. We will have happy hour specials As I've told you on previous episodes. It's going to be $20 all-you-can-drink Bud Lights with a plate of wings on the side. You can also obviously get whatever else you want, but it is going to be a fun event. And I'm telling you, uh, just in the last couple days, I have had maybe 30 more, 40 more people uh, join the guest list, so if you're going to be in Vegas, if you're in Vegas right now, make sure to hit me up at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, hit me up on Instagram, send me an email at Aaron Torres Podcast questions at gmail.com, let me know that you are going to be at Legacy Stadium and it's going to be a great time, uh, and if you're disappointed from Wednesday night, you can come drown your sorrows in really cheap Bud Light. Uh, because it's going to be a fun time. And so let's get into what happened on Wednesday night. Uh, because I'm guessing a lot of you listening are bleary-eyed today. Because one, you either live on the East Coast, maybe in Kentucky, in Tennessee, uh, in Ohio, wherever you live. And you stayed up to w- to watch that Kentucky game till about 1.30 Eastern local time. As I record here uh, at about 7 a.m. Pacific time or you're in Vegas, and you might not have even gone to bed yet if you were at the game, but the final score was 69-66. Kentucky loses to Utah in Vegas. As I said, it's the first half of a double-header, a back-to-back uh, slate in Las Vegas. Obviously, Saturday, Kentucky will play one of the top five teams in the country, the Ohio State Buckeyes, and yeah, if you'll watch the game You know that, let's be honest, it it wasn't a great game for anybody all around. Utah uh, jumped out to a huge lead as big as 17 points in the second half. Then they really weren't that good down the stretch. Uh, Kentucky was miserable for about the first 30 minutes. They were sleepwalking through it. It felt like they were still on the East Coast. I don't think their their body clocks adjusted, but they were terrible. No, and By the way, that's not an excuse for Kentucky. I'm just saying they looked like they were completely sleepwalking through that game. And oh, by the way, it was a terrible game for the refs too. The refs really, I thought, uh, were pretty miserable. Uh, there was a weird block charge call that kind of changed the game, but... It would also be wrong of me to say that Kentucky lost because of the refs or anything like that. No, they lost because as I just said a minute ago, they came out completely flat, tried to turn it on in the last 10 minutes of the game and weren't able to overcome a very big deficit. And so I think the best place to start is by me being critical of Kentucky like I have been of so many other teams. And it would be unfair of me. If I came on this show last week after Louisville lost to Texas Tech on a neutral court, I said, well, Louisville's not very good. And I said, UNC isn't very good. And I've said in the past that this team isn't good and that team's not good. Michigan State's struggling. And so it would be unfair if I came on this show and didn't say that right now, Kentucky is not a very good basketball team. And what my biggest takeaway with this team in this game, it was actually the same As after the Evansville game, and frankly, after every game that they've played so far this season. And it's very simply this. Right now, they're not a very good offensive team. But more importantly than that, they're not good enough offensively to be anything other than great defensively. And I've talked about that, and we're going to get into it in a minute. But you look at the box score, and first of all, the offense was abysmal. It was amazing because as I was looking at the box score on Thursday morning here, I was kind of amazed that Kentucky was even in the game late. They shoot 41% from the field, uh, 2 of 17 from 3. Meanwhile, they allow Utah to shoot 56% from the field and 53% from 3. Utah shot 8 of 15 from behind the arc. You kind of wonder how Kentucky was even in the game at all, and it was obviously because Utah missed a lot of foul shots, Kentucky forced a lot of turnovers, but again, the story with Kentucky is exactly what I just said, and frankly, exactly what I have said uh, really throughout the season is they are not good enough offensively to be anything other than fully 100% totally locked in on the defensive side of the ball when they come out for games, And obviously, when you look at the University of Kentucky, they were not on Wednesday night against Utah. As I said, they fell down four at the half, and if you were watching the game, they had to rally just to cut the lead to four, and then the lead grew to as many as 17 points uh, early in the second half. In the middle of the second half, they're down by almost 20. They rally, but again... They should have never been down 17 points because they shouldn't have allowed Utah so many easy baskets, and it goes back to what I said. They need to be fully locked in 100% defensively, and I think they can get there. I think we've seen flashes. We saw it against Michigan State. As I said on the last episode, there were moments against Georgia Tech where I thought they were really good defensively, and if you just want to say Georgia Tech stinks, that's fine, but Georgia Tech has two pretty good players, Michael DeVoe and and James Banks down low, and Kentucky did a good job of shutting them both down. And so I've seen it with Kentucky, but when they don't come out fully locked in on defense, like on Wednesday night, they're going to struggle. And you know why they're going to struggle? Because right now, they're just, again, they're not there offensively. I think they have one guy that can really create his own offense and even that guy, I don't want to say I'm starting to question, but did Tyrese Maxey play maybe his best game of the season against Michigan State early? Now he had 18 points against um against Utah the other night, but it wasn't as it wasn't kind of as impressive. I don't know if impressive is the right word, but but he didn't take over the game like he did against Michigan State. Part of it was that he was in foul trouble for a good portion of the game. But I look at Kentucky, and the thing, to backtrack with Kentucky, the thing that I always look for in college hoops, does a team have a guy that can just take over a game? Do do they have a guy that can get easy offense for a team when they're struggling? And so, you know, you look at college basketball this year, and I'm just trying to think of teams off the top of my head that can do that. I think, um, you know, Kansas, which is number one in the country, I think they do that pretty well. They just dump the ball down to Adoka as a bouquet and uh, that guy's either going to get you two or he's going to go to the foul line. Now, whether he makes the foul shots or not, that's another story. Uh, Dayton with Obi Toppin, anytime they need a basket, they just run the ball through him. Uh, Gonzaga, who beat the snot out of uh, UNC on on Wednesday night, they can dump the ball down low to the kid Petrasev that I said. They got my boy, Joel Ayi on the uh, perimeter, and he can get buckets. But with Kentucky, I don't know that they have that guy. And in the past, they have. And it's been a different guy every year with a different game. Some years, it's a guard like John Wall, like De'Aaron Fox, that can just beat people off the dribble and get to the rim. Last year, they had P.J. Washington, who you just dump the ball down low. And like I just said a minute ago, uh, with Adoka as a bouquet, he's either going to get to the foul line or he's going to get an easy bucket. Kentucky doesn't have that guy. And Kentucky doesn't have the guy on the perimeter either. And so, again, it comes down very simply to how good is their defense going to be on a particular day. And if they're not fully locked in, if they come out sleepwalking like they did for 30 minutes against Utah, then they're going to struggle. Now, if they had come out and played defense for the last for the first 30 minutes the way that they did the last 10, they don't fall down four at halftime. They don't fall down uh, 17 in the second half, and there is more margin for error on offense. So I don't know with Kentucky. I don't know because they don't have those guys that can get easy buckets. Some of the guys that we thought were going to be contributors simply aren't. Khalil Whitney on the wing just hasn't figured it out yet. Uh, Nick Richards I'm very curious about because he looked very good against bad competition. Is he ready to step up? But I do also think that there were, as crazy as it sounds, some positives for Kentucky going forward. And that's that one, I think Ashton Hagen's is starting to get what it takes to be a big time college basketball player and a guy that's projected in these mock drafts to be a potential first round pick. He's always good on defense. He's the one guy I think you could say that was pretty locked in defensively from the beginning. You can't say that about the rest of these guys, but he was pretty locked in from the beginning. He finished with 16 points, um, 16 points, eight assists, and four steals. So again, he was locked in. He was their only offense at times, um, and I thought EJ Montgomery actually played pretty well from the perspective that the energy and effort was there, especially in the second half. He finishes with eight points, 10 boards. I know it doesn't always show in the box score, but I think EJ Montgomery's energy is up. But I'll tell you, Kentucky needs those two to play like that every single game because those guys are the sophomores. Those guys are the veterans. Those guys that are the, are the ones that are supposed to be able to do it every single night. And they make up for the fact that maybe a kid like Keon Brooks isn't ready. Maybe a kid like... Um, you know, like Khalil Whitney, like Nick Richards, like Johnny Juzang isn't ready. But I thought that that, if there were positives, that was them. Now, I think in the bigger picture, the question becomes, is this like a long-term issue for Kentucky? Like, like can they figure it out? And it's funny because I talked about this with Louisville last week of like, Louisville, they don't really have anybody besides Jordan Noir that can score. They don't have anybody that can get them into their offense at the point guard position like is it fixable for Louisville? And I said, like, look, I do think it's kind of fixable for Louisville. They got a bunch of veteran guards. One of them needs to figure it out. Somebody needs to provide uh, offensive production alongside Jordan Warr. Maybe that's Samuel Williamson, maybe that's somebody we're not even talking about right now. But with Kentucky, is it fixable? And I think it's fixable for two reasons. One, don't know if you've seen the SEC ain't very good this year, and we're going to get to the SEC in a minute, but you look across the board. Tennessee lost at a bad Cincinnati team on Wednesday night. LSU lost by double digits to East Tennessee State, who's actually pretty good, but like your LSU, you can't lose to East Tennessee State by 15 points or whatever it was. Alabama is terrible. Um, Georgia is underachieving. Ole Miss is underachieving. Missouri is terrible so there are wins to be had in this league so I think that's the positive for Kentucky and we're going to get into the SEC in the bigger picture in a minute but I also think there's this I know that every Kentucky fan wants to freak out today and they want to say the season's over and we're screwed and this team's terrible and and uh, you know we're awful right doesn't this feel though a lot like last year am I the only one that remembers what happened last year Because if you think back to last year, Kentucky lost to Duke on opening night. They got smoked. Then they played nobody for a month. Then they go to Madison Square Garden. They play Seton Hall in a quote-unquote neutral site game where the other team was kind of closer geographically. Utah the same on Wednesday night. And Kentucky ends up losing to Seton Hall in overtime. Now, you could argue that game was a little bit more competitive. And you can argue that... um, you know, if Miles Powell doesn't go off for like 70 points in that game, Seton Hall doesn't win. But it is kind of similar, right? Like, like you play you play that opening night game last year, you lose. This year, you win. You play nobody for a month, and then you play uh, the first good team you play, or the first even decent team you play, is on a neutral court. You end up losing, and of course, you go back to last year. And Kentucky was fine going forward. Kentucky obviously hit their groove after that Seton Hall game. They went to the CBS Sports Classic. They end up beating North Carolina, and the rest is history. Now, do I think that's going to happen this year? Well, one, I think it can happen because I like Ohio State, but Ohio State right now, one of their best players, Dwayne Washington, is banged up. He might play on Saturday. He might not. But Ohio State isn't going to overwhelm you with talent. They're just a really good team that takes care of the ball, is efficient offensively, plays really good defensively. But it's not like Ohio State's the monsters. Like, Ohio State's not just going to just, just drub Kentucky. But even in the bigger picture, even if they lose to Ohio State, is it fixable? Yeah, I think it is. Because I think Ashton Haggins is starting to figure it out. And I think EJ Montgomery is starting to figure it out. And I think, as I said, the SEC isn't that good. But on top of that... It's not as though we don't have a track record of Kentucky doing this every single year, including last year. Now, I do think the margin for error is smaller. I don't think anybody on this team is going to be, by the end of the season, as reliable as P.J. Washington was last year. But I don't think it's the sky is falling, the season's over, cancel the season, send the team back to Kentucky and let somebody else play Ohio State. Like I just think that it was a bad night. It was a symptom of the problem. And if they don't get that problem fixed very quickly, I do think it's going to snowball from here, but I also think the problem is fixable. Come out focused on defense, don't give up easy baskets, and you're not going to fall down by 15 or 20 points in the second half and have to rally. So that's kind of the big picture with Kentucky. Uh, And Kentucky really was just one of many, 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 many SEC teams that really wasn't very good uh, on Wednesday night. And it's kind of interesting because as I mentioned off the top, Bruce Pearl is joining me and Bruce Pearl even says at one point in the interview like dude like I'm happy with my team but I don't think we're as good as our record says and I don't think the SEC at the top is as good as it was a year ago and so I thought it was very interesting and I I think it's very interesting as a show that Bruce Pearl is going to kind of say that on a night where not only did Kentucky lose to Utah but Tennessee lost to Cincinnati LSU lost at East Tennessee State uh, really quick on LSU I'm not going to spend a ton of time on them because one I didn't really get to watch the game but two LSU like I, I do think th- they got some issues man because the thing that at least Kentucky can fall back on is they did beat a, a, a decent to maybe very good Michigan State team we'll find out how good they are in the coming weeks Tennessee did beat Washington on a neutral court they did beat VCU on a neutral court LSU's losing everybody, man. You look at LSU's schedule, their best win is against um, is against the University of Rhode Island, who is a good team, but I don't know that they're even a middle-of-the-pack SDC team this year. And I think the problem with LSU is Javante Smart. I think they missed Tremont Waters, point blank and a story Javante Smart's a good player. He is is really good offensively. I don't know that he makes other players around him better. I don't know that he creates for others. I've had SEC coaches tell me the same as like, that guy can get his own points, but can he get somebody else theirs? And so that'll be an interesting thing to watch out for with LSU as they lose to East Tennessee. I do want to talk really quickly about Tennessee though. Because I came on this show last week, and I was adamant, like, oh, Tennessee's going to be fine, and like Jordan Bowden and Lamonte Turner are never going to play as bad as they did against Memphis on Saturday afternoon. It's like, I don't know if you saw that game, but they just might. So Tennessee goes uh, goes to Cincinnati, and they end up losing the game. And by the way, I don't know if you've been paying attention to Cincinnati. Cincinnati ain't very good this year without McCronin. They just lost over the weekend to Colgate. Uh... Uh, Yeah, no, not the the Toothpaste Company. The Toothpaste Company is not sponsoring a college basketball team. We're talking about Colgate University just beat Cincinnati over the weekend, and Tennessee lost to that team that just lost to Colgate. And so with Tennessee, I'll be honest, man, they might not be as good as I thought they were because, and it's listen, I'm being critical of Tennessee the same way I'm being critical of Kentucky, the same way I'm being critical of Louisville, the same way I'm being critical of North Carolina, of Michigan State earlier this year. But you look at Tennessee, and I thought after that Memphis game that Lamonte Turner couldn't possibly play worse than he did in that Memphis game. Yet if you look at this season, Lamonte Turner was a guy that late last year was maybe Tennessee's best player. Like, And it sounds crazy because they had Grant Williams, and they had Admiral Schofield, and they had Jordan Bone. But if you watch Tennessee, Lamonte Turner was maybe their best player, And it's incredible to watch this season because his numbers are way down across the board. Last year, he ended up averaging 11 points per game. This year, he's averaging 12. But he shot 42% from the field last year, 32% from behind the three-point arc. This year, he's shooting 29% from the field, 23% from three. Jordan Bowden, their second best player, his shooting numbers are also down as well. And so that's kind of the incredible thing about Tennessee, is Tennessee, it was like the two guys that you really thought you could rely on are the ones that are struggling. And that's why I actually feel okay about Tennessee going forward, because they're getting contributions from basically everybody else. John Fulkerson, I said it on Wednesday night, he might be one of the most improved players in the SEC. This was a guy that averaged three points a game last year. He's up to 12 points per game. Their other big guy, Eve Ponds, averaged two points a game. He's averaging just under 12. The freshman, Josiah James, is playing well. And so it's weird with Tennessee because all the guys that you were like, eh, you know, I don't know, is this guy going to make a leap? Is he any good? What's his story? Blah, 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 blah. Those guys are playing well, and it's the guys that you thought you could count on who aren't playing well. And so I think that's the issue for Tennessee. I think they got to figure it out. I don't know if Lamonte Turner, if it's kind of what I just said with LSU, a Tremont Waters, uh, you know, um, so, uh, Tremont Waters Javante smart deal where maybe Lamonte Turner was better playing off the ball, creating offense for himself. Now he's being asked to create for others. I don't know. But something ain't right with Tennessee. And I'll just say this I think it's a great day to be an Auburn fan, and we'll find out because Auburn plays NC State, and we're gonna talk to Bruce Pearl in a minute. I think it's a great day to be an Arkansas fan. And it's funny because every time I say anything nice about Arkansas, oh, you just love Eric Musselman because he comes on your podcast. I don't know if you watched Arkansas, but they're like 9-1 and one right now. They just beat the crap out of Tulsa, and they have a kid named Mason Jones who scored 40 points the other night. And so I'm not saying Arkansas is going to win the SEC or they're the best team. I actually think they're pretty good because I think right now they have the thing that Kentucky doesn't, which is guys that can get you baskets and I think they're locked in defensively in a way that they weren't previously under Mike Anderson. Not all to say about Arkansas, they've played, two, they've played one Power 5 team all year. That was Georgia Tech. They needed a buzzer beater to beat Georgia Tech. And it's kind of the same with Auburn. We're going to get into it in a minute with Bruce Pearl. But Bruce Pearl even said, like, look, we haven't played or beaten a Power 5 team yet. We have NC State this evening. And we're going to get a better feel for how good our team is after that NC State game. But I think those are the two teams that could take advantage of the SEC maybe not being as good as we thought. Arkansas, I'm telling you, if you're an Arkansas fan listening, there are wins to be had in this league as we speak. Arkansas right now, as they're entering the weekend, is now 9-1. and um, And they only play one other real big out-of-conference game, which is against Indiana. So basically they could go into SEC play it like 10-2, and and if Arkansas just takes care of what they're supposed to and who they're supposed to, and then maybe steals a win against the Tennessee, against an LSU, I think if Arkansas goes 11-7, and they're a tournament team. I think it's the same with Auburn. Auburn obviously is a little bit more ahead of schedule with the kind of, one, with just a quote-unquote rebuild, although Auburn is fully rebuilt. But then two, also, um, I think with Auburn, is I just think that like, like like the wins are there for them. And so you talk about a team that could potentially win the SEC this year. I think Auburn's there. I don't think Arkansas could win the SEC, but I do think they are two programs that can take full advantage of the down SEC and take full advantage of kind of LSU being in flux and Tennessee being in flux. And we'll find out really quick with Kentucky this weekend against Ohio State. Again, I was gonna do a full breakdown of Ohio State, Kentucky. But let's be honest, there's enough to talk about with Kentucky's loss with Utah to kind of just focus on that and uh, move forward into Saturday. I think the big thing for Kentucky, does the kid Dwayne Washington play? If he doesn't, I think Kentucky actually could bounce back nicely. But again, for Kentucky, it really does come down to, are they going to be fully locked in on defense? Because if they are, I think they'll be okay in the big picture, even if they don't beat Ohio State. If they're not, they're going to struggle all year long. All right, so I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Bruce Pearl is, of course, coming up, and of course, I will be back late or early next week, I should say, to recap the weekend that was. Obviously, the emphasis will be on Kentucky, Ohio State, since I will be there, but a lot of good games this weekend, Kansas, Villanova, maybe even talk a little UCLA, UNC, we'll see how the the weekend goes, but... Before we get to burst Pearl, I want to remind you, please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. So much good content coming out here over the next few months. So many great guests, so many great people. I think next week uh, we'll do a recap show. Maybe have Nick Coffey join me to talk a little college football playoff down the road. So yeah, a lot of good stuff coming. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the show. Make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what we're doing well. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Let us know how awesome that I am. All that good stuff. Uh, Also make sure to follow on the Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Uh, If you have any questions, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions. And finally, if you're listening to this show either on your way to Las Vegas or you're in Las Vegas, I don't know what you're doing in Las Vegas. Not going to ask. Don't want to know where you're listening to the show. Not my business. I promise I won't make eye contact with you if I see you. But Friday afternoon. Fun event Legacy Stadium at the Venetian Hotel. We're going to have drinks, we're going to have appetizers. Anybody that's in town, if you listen to this show and you just live in Vegas and you just want to come hang, you're more than welcome to come hang. Uh, but swing by, let us know. Send me an email, send me a DM. If you have my phone number, you can text me or call me, send me a fax. I don't really care, send a carrier pigeon. Just let me know you're coming so we can get the restaurant total numbers. But We're having an event at Legacy Stadium, which is at the Venetian, three to five, drink specials, happy hour, all that kind of stuff. If you're in Vegas for the CBS Sports Classic, swing on by, hit me up for more questions, more information, more details, I'm happy to provide it, but I think that's it for now. So I'll just say this, a quick shout out to my boy Torrent Craig, and now we're about to get to Bruce Pearl But before we get to Coach Bruce Pearl, I want to remind you that today's episode is sponsored by Blue Chew, one of our favorite sponsors. Fellas, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. I'm talking bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. And if you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line in the pharmacy and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA and since Blue Chew prepares and ships directly, they're cheaper than a pharmacy and best of all, this is the important part, no more awkwardness. Right now, we've got a special deal for listeners of the Aaron Torres Pod. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use the special promo code TORRES. All you got to do is pay $5 shipping. First sample for free, you just pay the $5 shipping fee. BlueChew.com, promo code TORRES. Again, that's Blue BlueChew, B L U E wcom Promo code TORRES. Try this for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we want to thank them for sponsoring the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And now the interview you guys have been waiting for. Here is Coach Bruce Pearl. All right. And joining me on the phone now, the head coach of the Auburn Tigers, one of the few remaining undefeated teams in power or major college, not even power five, just in college basketball in general, Bruce Pearl is on the phone. Coach Pearl, how are you doing today?
1: Aaron, I'm doing great. How are y'all doing?
0: So I'm doing great. And and I want to start with exactly what I just said. If I had told you the day that, that you got final word from Chumo Kiki and Jared Harper last spring, last summer, that the Auburn Tigers would be the final undefeated team in Power Five college basketball, what would you have told me if I told you that?
1: <laughs> I'd have laughed. Sure. Uh, uh, yeah. See, at Auburn, we don't have guys leaving early for the NBA. Sure. Uh, we have guys leave In history, we have guys leaving early to transfer, stuff like that. <laughs> but last year, sophomore, you know, Sumo uh, Piki goes 16 uh, to Orlando, and, and Jared's got a two-way contract with the Phoenix Suns. So we weren't planning on those guys leaving early, but we're really proud of them. We're really happy for them. And the guys that returned along, for- some of our new players, have, you know, have done a pretty good job. They kept the clock for a couple of great players.
0: Yeah, and so I would ask you, I mean, take us through this early hot start. I mean, obviously, as a coach, you go into every game expecting to win, but are you a little bit surprised by the fact that that through all these games you've had some tough competition in Brooklyn and early in the season with Davidson? Are you surprised at maybe how well your team has transitioned without so many kind of key pieces from last year?
1: Aaron, I, I'm a little surprised, but I think there are a couple of factors. First of all, we're 9-0. and uh, we played five games away from Auburn Arena, um, four in, in neutral sites. Uh, but two of those neutral sites were in the state of Alabama. Mm-hmm. So we had some fans in the building uh, at South Alabama, and we played St. Louis on Saturday in a nice flag Invitational vacation in Birmingham. And as you know, uh, wins away from home mean more. They're just, they're just they're greater value. That's why our debt right now is, is seventh in the country. That's why we're number one in RBI. Uh, that's why we're four or five of the schedule. But, Aaron, we've not played a great team yet. We've sure. played some really good teams. We've stayed away from the bottom feeders, which really hurts your math. And we've been good enough to beat the teams in our schedule. But I think over the last you know couple of weeks with Furman and then St. Louis and now NC State coming in there on Thursday on the espn too we are now continuing to play tougher and tougher teams. And we've been... Uh, We've been good enough to beat the people on our schedule, but when you bring when you lose five terrific players a year ago, I didn't want to. I wanted to play really good teams. I didn't want to play great teams so early uh, and and at us. So I think the combination of the kids being right and ready, smart scheduling, and uh, and we're in good position.
0: So you do lose those obviously those those five key players, three or four, you know, kind of relevant historically just in Auburn history in terms of the things that they accomplished on the court last year, etc. Um, uh, is Proud the right way? I mean, how how impressed maybe are you with the, the guys that did return that are all either now being asked to play for the first time or being asked to be kind of put in a different role where they're doing more than they have kind of in the past?
1: You know, Aaron, I think that this team is an example of
0: you know being patient.
1: In other words, Austin Wiley uh, it was back for his senior year, and he could have left early, but he's having the best year of his career. He's healthy. He's moving really well. He's put himself in a much better draftable position than any other time his career. Daniel Jelfierfoy had to play behind Shumo for the last couple of years. Didn't transfer, stayed the course. Now he's a starter and a key player for us. You Dowdy Doughty played a lot last year, but he was our fourth or fifth, op- fifth option. Uh, with all those other players. Now he's one or two in an option and, you know, taking advantage of it. You know, Javon McCormick was was recruited a year ago to back up Jared Harper. Jared leaves early. And you know what? He didn't mind coming in and competing with Jared. Um uh, wasn't worried about who was on the roster. just wanted to come to Auburn, wanted to play at the highest level. And uh, last year he was a terrific backup. This year so far he's been a, a dominating starter, leading the SEC in a since Tom ratio. show. You know, very fast, very athletic, really worked hard, and I didn't over recruit ahead of those guys. In other words, I didn't bring in fifth-year transfers. I didn't bring in junior college transfers, because we did get one, but um brought in. In the eight newcomers we have, we've got six freshmen, and um, knowing that it was going to take us, those guys were going to need some time to get caught up, so I think the chemistry is right. The seniors responded to the opportunity, and, uh, you know, you know, obviously, so far so good. But Aaron, it's all about you know March. It's all about February. This team needs
0: to continue to get. better.
1: I can tell you right now, we are not one of the top ten teams in the country. We're not. We're, we're not.
0: So you're saying we're my rankings top. are phony? Because I we're not.
1: We're locked top twenty five or thirty teams in the country, in my opinion, right now. But we still have We have a chance to get
0: better. I was gonna say, I got you at number eight. So you're calling? You're basically calling me a liar, straight? No, nah, I'm kidding here. Um. So what? where do you think then, as we kind of look forward, a uh, big game, as you said, Thursday, NC State is coming to town, and then, of course, the SEC schedule really is going to ramp up here over the next two or three weeks. Where do you feel like, as a team, that you've got to get better going into the second half of the season?
1: Well, we've been inconsistent shooting the ball from the three-point line as well as from the uh, free-throw line, and, and that's going to be something that we've got to kind of fix. Um, we've had, I would say, offensively, uh, we've had too many wasted to possessions. We just have not uh, been as efficient offensively as we as we as we would need to be. Uh, I think you look around college basketball. Obviously, moving the line back uh, has affected the shooting by about three percentage points, just like it did the last time we moved the line back. Um, and and so those would be a couple of areas as far as our offensive efficiency. Uh, we've been a little inconsistent in transition and rebounding on the defensive end. But look again; these are all things that. Uh, our our work progress, but I, I I have the the one encouraging thing is I know we gotta get better to be able to win SEC games. But I do know we have a we have the ability to get better. This team is far from Pete, even though the record based that stuff that's just not the case.
0: I kinda wanna go uh, big picture here and you did just mention the SEC um and we'll go big picture with Auburn first but I'm just curious now, you're in year six here at Auburn, and there's no disrespect to anybody that came before you or anything like that. I know Auburn had had success previously, but just in the big picture, I, I do feel like nationally, as somebody who covers this sport nationally, the Auburn kind of quote-unquote brand feels differently. You guys have had a ton of, obviously, on-the-court success. Um, how fun has this last five, six years been kind of, I don't want to say building it, there were people there before you, there's going to be people there after you, but, but kind of uh, you know, making this kind of a thing where now I think when people think Auburn, they think basketball more maybe now than they ever have, in at least in recent history.
1: Well, Aaron, I appreciate that, especially coming from you. Uh, Thank you. You know, who, you know, follows the national picture, you know, of college basketball. And I think, uh, you know, over the last four years, Auburn has had the best non-conference record in the SEC. Wow. Over the last two years, we've won conference championships. Obviously, last year, we got to the Final Four. So what it takes is it takes consistency. Uh, it takes years to change culture. And and so if we're now being looked at nationally as a competitive program, it's not just because of one run. It's because of three or four good years back-to-back uh, and another good start to this season. So professionally, it's very satisfying. It is, and I've got a wonderful staff. Uh, Auburn is a great place that is really successful in all sports, men and women. Uh, you know, we're one of the best academic institutions in the south, and uh, things are really. It's a good time to be at Auburn right now, and I'm just. Look, I'm just glad that in Auburn basketball, you know, we're holding up our end because uh, you know our football program beats Alabama more than anybody else, uh, we put tons of guys into the in the NFL. Uh, but don't forget, baseball went to the College World Series last year, and watch out for them again this year. Softball's pretty successful. Auburn, the history of Auburn swimming and diving. Our golf teams are, are both final four potential golf programs this year. I mean, just, it, it's, it's across the board. Uh, soccer, I mean, so, it, 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 it's great. All I can say, it's great to be an Auburn type.
0: Do you feel, obviously, look, when you get there the first couple of weeks, everybody's excited to have you there, but then you get into the grind of the, the season. Can you feel a difference around town about excitement about this team? Not just because you're winning, but just because of, like I said, you've been there five, six years. The community knows your staff, yeah. your players, et cetera.
1: That's a great question. Um, and, and here's what happens. It, you know, what comes first, it's chicken or the egg. Do you need to win first to get people to come out? Or do you need people to come out in order to win? And at a lot of places, you have to win first for them to come out. Here at Auburn, they came out for me day one, sure. and my first year, or two, there were times when it looked like the varsity versus the JV. We were just physically overwhelmed. We were, we were, uh, uh, you know, we were just outmatched, sure. and um, it took us a, a little while to get caught up a little bit, um, and 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 we have, but our fans have been unbelievably supportive. Uh, throughout the process, yes, yeah, now uh, we're starting to travel. You know, Now we put 13,000 people in the building in Birmingham. Now when we go on the road uh, to neutral site, we'll take fans with us. You know, we, we did our part to fill out the gym in Maui uh, a year ago. And, and uh, when we went to the Final Four, you know, Texas Tech or Virginia or Michigan State, nobody had a bigger crowd than Auburn. Our fans traveled. So... Yeah, I, I and you can start seeing a little bit of recruiting, and and so, you know, look, it's easier to get it going, here than it is to keep it going. Sure. And that's that's what we're trying to do here at Auburn. We're trying to keep it going.
0: Well, and that's what I, that was kind of going to be my next question. Is you're doing a lot of things that either haven't been done there in a while with the SEC regular season, the SEC tournament, and of course the Final Four. How do you keep it going? Because like I said, it, you know, you get to some places and the expectations are through the roof right away. You get to others and you have to kind of build it steadily. But but what is kind of your vision for the next couple of years of Auburn basketball? Because I think it's been kind of incredible to watch from year one to now.
1: Well, you stay humble and you stay hungry. Uh, you don't let success change you. Uh, you keep your culture right. You keep surrounding yourself with great coaches and and great people, and great—you know—and that's you know—obviously the key to that success. Um, you put God first. You trust in the Lord, and, and do what He would have you do, and let that be the foundation of your program. Um, and there's no guarantees. And listen, I'm gonna tell you right now: the the the, the SEC last year was phenomenal. The top of the league was great. Uh, there were teams like you know Kentucky, Tennessee, LSU—all good enough to be national championship teams a year ago. I don't know the top of our league is is better than it was a year ago. And that's not a criticism. That's just kind of where we're at. But I can tell you the balance is even greater. Uh, we've got so many tremendous new coaches in this league. Uh, the next couple of years, I think the, the, the future of the SEC as a brand in basketball may be n- never stronger. Um, so we're going to have our full maintaining this level of success, but that's what the great challenge
0: is. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. So before I came on air, I kind of did some math in my head. This is kind of amazing. I could be wrong on this, but I believe you're the third most tenured coach in the league right now, which is insane. <laughs> John Calipari, Frank Martin, I believe are the only guys that have been there longer. Yeah, like, like how crazy is it for you to look at the league you came into versus now, where as you said, Buzz Williams is at A&M. Uh, Nate Oates is going to get things going at Alabama. Coach Muss, who's been on this show many times before at Arkansas, not to mention the guys you already mentioned, Rick Barnes, John Calipari, Frank Martin, I just said, Quanzo yep. Martin, et cetera. How crazy is it to kind of look at this league from a 30,000-foot view relative to where it was when he got here?
1: Well, you know, I think there's a couple of things. Said, the fact that I'm third and you already, you know, and, and this is my sixth season, you know, it talks about the risk and reward of coaching at this
0: level. Sure.
1: And – um you know, I just think that, uh, I, I just wish presidents and athletic directors and fan bases would be a little bit more patient, a little bit more realistic. You got guys being fired, you know, the year after they go to the Sweet 16, to go to the NCAA tournament. And it's just, uh, again, I understand and I'm not complaining because of the salaries that are at this level right now. Uh, but, but it could win at all costs. Uh, situation not, it's not just that's from that standpoint, it's not, it's not what I think intercollegiate athletics need to be. I think we can have a little bit more, you know, sanity when it comes to hiring and firing. Uh, you know, I, I, if you add my five, if you add my six years at Tennessee uh, to my six years here now at, at Auburn, uh, I've been in the league 12 years. John, I think is in his 10th or 11th year at Kentucky. Uh, so I'm actually been in the SEC longer wow, than anybody. Of my six-year, ten-year Auburn stern, it's just it's it's almost hard to believe.
0: Very good. Wrap up. Couple last questions. I know you're busy. I guess I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. You got this big game against NC State coming up. They're a really good program. Kevin Keats, another guy that's been on this show. Uh, really quickly. I know you don't want to give away <laughs> away the scouting report or anything. But what do you make of the Wolfpack as you get set for that game? Well.
1: Uh, you know, look, Kevin Keith has always been known as one of the best young coaches in our country. Um, he's probably gotten lots of credit for how hard they play, how good they are defensively, and they, they always are really good defensively. turn people over like crazy a year ago, and they turned us over 26 times at NC State last year with Adidas. Uh, uh, but he doesn't get nearly enough credit, credit for what kind of offense coach he is. And I think oftentimes that's a separator. uh coaches. Billy Donovan always told me, he said, look, We all coach pretty good defense, but the difference between the great ones are the ones that can really coach on the offensive side. And and Billy said that, and I tend to agree with him. Kevin, they're like fifth in the country at offensive efficiency. Uh, They shoot it very well from three. They run really good stuff. So uh, we'll we'll have our handful. Uh, It'll be a very, very, uh, you know, it'll be be a great, they're the best team we've played so far. And so, um, you know, we're excited about the opportunity and, again, uh, what happens when you play teams like that? They expose you. Uh, they expose your strengths, um, and they expose your weaknesses. And so, we'll see where we're at. We've been good enough to be there by our schedule uh, so far, uh, but this will be our greatest time.
0: Very good. Two quick questions. I'll let you go. Uh, one. This one came actually from my intern Zach, who's a huge Hoops fan. He wants. Are, do you have any good Charles Barkley stories that you can share publicly?
1: I have a ton <laughs> of great Charles Barkley stories. None of them will be shared publicly.
0: Okay, all right, very good. Yeah, he. Uh, it is kind of incredible, and, and I do want to get to one last question, but it is kind of incredible because I'm of the age that I'm old enough to remember him as a player, but it is kind of incredible, kind of the second act of his career, which is obviously now as a prominent broadcaster. Uh, the, the person who sent in that question is in college. I'm sure it's the same with your recruits. Uh, I'd guess really quick, having that guy on your side, having that guy as an Auburn Tiger, even if the players don't remember, it's got to help, right?
1: It's been enormous in to the development of our program. When Charles on national television talking about what we need to do to win, and the Auburn family, uh, and the fact that Auburn getting the Final Four was one of the best things that happened to him in his lifetime. Wow. People, Charles Barkley is 100% authentic and genuine. He is good and... And as kind and as generous, as thoughtful and as real a man as I know. I mean, that's a strong statement. I don't know there's anybody in his profile that takes that takes more time for the common man than Charles Barkley. And uh, the fact that he is willing to wrap himself up in Auburn. Like, look, he was one of the all-time greatest students from. He was one of the all-time greatest Philadelphia 76ers. He was one of the fifty NBA 50th greatest players. He was part of the Dream Team. Um, he was an MVP. And yet, it's Auburn that he identifies with. Huh. Because as a student athlete, Auburn helped him get from where he was, coming out of Leeds, Alabama, to the NBA. And that's our job at the university. This is a special campus, a very special community. Kids come here to be great. And Charles Barkley is a great example of that.
0: Fantastic stuff. Last question for you. I, I found this in an old article, but I couldn't confirm that it's true. Is it true that you have a street named after you in Evansville, Indiana? Uh
1: well, it's true. There's a street that's um, uh, very close to the uh, University of Southern Indiana that is Pearl Drive. Okay. Uh and 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 uh, uh, yes, yeah. Uh, there, there 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 could be some truth to
0: that. Wow. Okay. Very good. It was a one line thing in an article, and I spent I literally spent a half an hour Googling, trying to find it, trying to find Bruce Pearl Ave, and I couldn't find it, so I
1: appreciate it. Great to be with you
0: today. All right. Thank you, coach. Have a good afternoon. Bruce Pearl, Auburn Tigers.